This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. We learn a lot more about the initiative and Maggie Walsh's intentions. Hello, and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watch season four, episode 13 of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, Nag Hammadi is where they found the Gnostic Gospels. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Eye and Team. I'm excited to talk about these. Yeah, me too. And we're having coffee, so we're going to be jazzed. Yeah, I feel like normally we do this like late at night. Or just like right after work. Yeah, or like right after we eat. Yeah, we don't usually do it on like a Sunday morning. It's not morning, but we got up at like late, so it is morning. Yeah, we got up at like noon, so it's morning still. Mm -hmm. We're having coffee. Mine's got a cream de menthe in it. Mine does not. You Do you like it? You tried mine. No. It looks like the Grinch freaking diarrhea in my coffee. Yeah, which, you know, was a turnoff. It's um, the day after Christmas IRL for us. Right, and uh, we put up a Christmas tree, which we normally don't do, because our cat, Kurt, will try to live in it. Yeah, he was small enough the first year we had him to get away with it, but he is no longer. Yeah, he doesn't seem to understand he's a bit chonky, and he always tries to jump into the tree, and the tree will obviously always fall over. He broke our last tree doing this, and so... We have a slightly better fake one now. Yeah, so we have a spray bottle, and I think he learned not to jump into it. But we took it down before bed because there's just no way we can leave him alone with it. It's in its box. We didn't tape it up and put it in storage. We just covered it with a blanket for now. And currently he's in the box with the tree. Yeah, he's trying to live with it, I guess. He likes to bite it. It seems like it wouldn't be comfortable to snuggle with a Christmas tree. This is a fake tree, by the way. Yeah, we we like to keep our <laughs> real dead trees all year and storage. Yeah, it looks pretty bad. Um, we use the same one every year until yeah. he broke it. He's in love with it, I guess. He's living in the box with it right now. Tomorrow's your birthday. Not in real life, but in podcast time. Yeah. So happy birthday tomorrow and in like two weeks. Well, thanks, guys. I'll take a charcuterie board. (laughs) Charcuterie? A cuticle board? Uh, That's just where you uh, cut your cuticles. Brian loves cheese, as you know. And I recommended he ask for one for Christmas from my family. And he's very excited about that now. Yeah. That's all he asked for. That's all I want. You're going to get like 10 of them. Great. You can only eat so much cheese. Baby, I can eat so much cheese. Take that word only out of there. <laughs> we watched Angel and we had some wine with it. Yeah, with, with Christmas. It was Poet wine? Yeah, it's called Poet. It was very nice. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked that. It. It it's from Wink. We were kind of saving that one because, I don't know, it's, it felt special. It's like a hefty bottle. There's a little poem on the bottle. So we saved it for Christmas. Kurt, what are you doing to the tree? Just get comfy and don't move. What exactly was that? He like smacked the outside of the box with his own tail and got scared about the sound. That's pretty funny. But yeah, if you want to drink wine with us, take advantage of our wine partnership with Wink, which Brian would love to tell you about. Yes, we are partnered with Wink.com. They're like a special website where they give you a bunch of test questions. Not te- That sounds like work. Yeah. But they give you a bunch of questions. <laughs> not a bunch. Just a reasonable amount of questions. They're you fun. Answer, There's pictures. Yeah, about what kind of taste you like, what your taste buds are into. And they run it through an algorithm and they send you wines they think your taste buds will appreciate. 
Uh, so far, it's worked out for us. We like all the wine we've gotten. Yeah, because we're not good at knowing what wine is. No. And this helps us know what we'll like. Just sometimes I'm like, I like this wine. And sometimes I'm like, I don't like this wine. And Wink's helping me with that. Mm-hmm. It's $29.95 for four bottles of wine for your first order. Plus free shipping. Plus free shipping. So it's a really good deal. And then you can cancel your subscription after that if you want or keep it coming if you love it. Yeah. Or you can skip a month. Yeah. That's always nice. If you're like, I got too much wine or I'm not going to be drinking this month. You don't have to cancel your membership. You can just be like, next time. You're going to use our promo code Gilmore Slayer when you check out. Yeah. And you can also get there by using the link in our episode description. That'll take you right to the deal. Also, we've got a new five-star review. Two. Two five-star reviews. Yeah. That's 10 stars, baby. We've got one from Germany. Ooh. From Kirk, not the cat. Kirk the Kirk? Yeah. Kirk the captain? I just know it's not the cat. And also from Nick07894. This reviewer says that we remind them of them and their husband. Nice. All right. Do you want to talk about episodes now? Oh, yeah. I want to talk about Gilmore Girls. All right, Brian. Tell everyone about Nag Hammadi is where they found the Gnostic Gospels. Do you have anything to say about the title, first of all? No. This is is the first good Gilmore title that they've ever had. It seemed like ridiculously long and dumb, but I think I understand it now. It's kind of funny. Yeah. I'm like usually against the titles. I think they're dumb and eye-rolly, but I am into this one. This is a fun, kind of funny title. Yeah. Once you've watched the episode. It's like an Easter egg. So this episode is about Jess coming back into town and about the waves he sends out in the town. But also it's about Luke dealing with his sister and himself, really. Yeah. So the episode starts with a cold, cold open. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Uh, Lorelai's making another delicious Pop-Tart breakfast. And is complaining to Rory on the couch about how cold the house is. Because apparently, we didn't see this, but Lorelai broke the window accidentally the night before when she was trying to shut it. Rory appears to be sleeping on the couch. And Lorelai playfully goes to sit on her, only to see the actual Rory come out of her bedroom. Yeah, it turns out couch Rory is actually a sleeping Lane. I think you guessed that. Yeah, I assumed it was Lane. I also want to point out, you just gave Pop-Tart breakfast a bit of shade, but you had Pop-Tarts for breakfast a couple times lately. Did I give it shade? I said it was delicious. You said it like, all right, Lorelai, if that's what you think breakfast is. Well, I mean, Lorelai, that's like the only thing I've seen them eat. Fair. They have Pop-Tarts all the time for breakfast, which are different than Slap Tarts, which is from the baking show. Yeah, we just watched the Christmas episode of the baking show. If you've seen it. You know what Slap Tarts are. Okay, so Lane has followed Rory home from Yale. Rory told Lane that she could stay at Yale, so it's like weird that Lane followed her home. And we don't really address why she did. Maybe we will, but we haven't yet. So Lane just like followed her friend home without telling her? That's weird. It is weird. It'd be one thing to be like, hey, do you care if I come to your place? I just don't want to be home alone. And it's her best friend. I feel like Rory 100% would be like, that's fine. Because they don't care that she's there. So it's just like weird that Lane kept that a secret. I don't know. So Rory and Lorelai go and sit by an open oven to stay warm and talk about Jess's return because they just found out he's back in town in the last episode. There's actually like three really funny lines here. One is when Lorelai says that Jess can pull off a Rocky impression because they both have a weird mouth and he is in the Rocky movies as Rocky's son. Not yet, but he will Not yet, right. Exactly. That's why it's funny. It's like a prediction almost. The second funny line is when Lane walks in and says, did someone sit on me? My hip hurts. And Lorelai's like, uh, no, you're just getting old. <laughs> I don't know why she lied. That's very funny. Also, that wouldn't have hurt her hip. No. And then the third very funny part is when Lorelai's sitting in front of the oven and asks if Sylvia Plath maybe, you know, was just trying to get warm. <laughs> she died by oven. <laughs> <You didn't know. laughs> yeah. 
One of the running plot points of this episode is that this window is broken and that Lorelai won't hire someone to come fix it. Now, she keeps saying that Luke scolds her for hiring someone to do something that he could do for free, so she's just going to have to wait for Luke to do it. Also, even though the episode doesn't say this, I think we already know that she's, like, broken skimping, so she doesn't have the money to pay for someone to come in and fix her window. Yeah, because Rory keeps insisting she just, like, has someone come do it. And this is, like, immediately after the previous episode, so that's probably why Rory's like, just call someone. She's, like, testing her. No, you think so? Maybe. That's maybe a good point. The episode never really locks down that that's why she's not calling somebody, because she goes on and on about how Luke will get mad at her, which I could see. But uh, to me, it was like, oh, you also don't have the money for it. So the town is preparing for another Firelight Festival, and Taylor left Kirk in charge. Taylor hasn't been around. Yeah, I know. Oh, no. I'm so sad about that. Yeah. Uh, That's that's sarcasm. If it's not reading everybody, (laughs) I don't want him around. Uh, So, of course, Kirk is just freaking out. He insists on using a walkie-talkie that he doesn't really even know how to use. And he wants to say Roger. (laughs) Yeah, he wants to be the one to say Roger when he's the one speaking. Jess is trying to leave town. He has had, I don't know where he's gotten these guys. He's convinced some men to like push his car over to Gypsies to get fixed. Luke tells him to just hire a tow truck and Jess says no, he's not going to pay $80 for some guy to tow it 20 feet. This is interesting because Luke insists he should just hire some guy to do it. But we just heard from Lorelai in the previous scene that Luke is like, don't pay someone to do something that you could do for free. Mm-hmm. So that is either suggesting that Luke does not say that thing to Lorelai, actually, because he's saying the opposite to yeah. Jess. Or it's that Jess is like Luke and that why would I pay someone to do something I don't have to pay someone to do? It does seem like a lot of money to go 20 feet. I also agree with you on that. When he gets it over there, Gypsy's like, we'll have it fixed by the end of the day. It can't get done earlier. So Jess just is like, fine, whatever. He turns around and sees someone from the back that he obviously thinks is Rory. And then Gypsy, because she's from Stars Hollow and knows everybody's deal, says, that isn't her, you know. She cut her hair. Jess is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Woman turns around. It's not Rory. Rory goes to Weston's bakery to grab some coffee and a Danish. Jess is there reading a book. He sees her and immediately gets up and is like, I'm leaving, and just like storms out. Like he's scared almost. And then later she goes to a bookstore, which, by the way, is completely different looking than the first season. Yeah, I think it's the same as the beauty supply store where Shane worked. The same set, yeah. Which also has flipped. Like we've been there two times where Kirk's working there and the cash wrap has been on either side. Yeah. But in the first season when Christopher tries to buy Rory that dictionary and can't pay for it, the place where you check out is, like, right by the door. It's possible it's all the same set, but it's, like, arranged differently. I mean, and places do remodel, so, I mean, that's possible. But it, it was noticeably a different place. But when Rory goes in, she sees Jess sitting on the floor reading an Al Franken book. And mm-hmm. he gets up once again and just, like, runs off. And he runs into her again, but we'll get to that later. At the Gilmore house, Lorelai and Lane are trying to fix the window with uh, saran wrap and Barbie band-aids <laughs> uh, when Emily calls. She is freaking out about the Rare Manuscript Acquisition Fundraiser. So specific. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be kind of a joke what this fundraiser's for. Yeah, so Emily is like freaking out because she had some uh, guests back out last minute, and she's not going to be able to fill her table with guests, which is horrible for fundraisers, I guess. Yeah. You, remember guess... what happened to Loretta Bobbins? Yeah. Yeah, she's She cut dead off her now. husband's penis? <laughs> I did think that that name was sort of close, and I was like, huh. Is it Loretta Bobbins? The woman in the show is Loretta Bobbins. Isn't it Lorena Bobbitt, the real person? Yeah, so it's very close. I bet it's. It does seem uncannily close. Uh, but Emily's all like, you know, this is, you know, you don't get invited back to these things if you can't bring enough people to the fundraiser. The scene is pretty fun because Emily is so stressed, and she demands 
Lorelai bring a date and also that she doesn't wear her seamed pantyhose because when she does, she looks like 10 cents a dance. <laughs> That's just such a funny line from Emily. And then she hangs out. Yeah. Screams, Richard, I need a giblet. At Luke's, his sister Liz is trying to sell some of her self-made earrings. She's brought an old friend, Carrie, who, if you remember, made out with Luke one time in high school under some bleachers. He keeps denying that this happened, but everyone agrees they saw it. Yeah. She clearly still wants to bone Luke. As does every woman in the town? Yeah. Learn later? Apparently he used to be really hot and would wear short shorts or something. He was on the track team. Right. Butch. Butch Danes. Remember we saw his photo in the high school when they went to do that speech and Lorelai had to answer everyone's questions about pregnancy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Luke pulls Liz aside and says, like, hey, maybe you shouldn't sell your earrings here because he's worried she'll get depressed if no one in Stars Hollow wants to buy her earrings. But they all do. Kirk, Miss Patty, and Carrie are all fighting over some turquoise earrings. There's a very funny line from Kirk when Miss Patty asks him if his girlfriend even has pierced earrings. And he doesn't know. So he, like, walkie-talkies his friend and he's all like, uh, have you ever noticed my girlfriend's lobes? <laughs> The friend's like, what? That was very funny. And Kirk also calls the earrings fat, like <laughs> P-H-A-T. Yeah. Also, isn't like turquoise like gross? Like I feel like they're not good. Um, I don't know. I feel like turquoise jewelry is popular. No, okay. I don't know. I don't know anything about jewelry. Maybe they're great. Luke has got this attitude towards his sister that is very condescending. And like, you know, in the last episode, he was saying that her earrings probably would like turn people's ears blue or green. It seems and- like you agree with Luke. You think turquoise is gross. <laughs> Well, he is like, you know, I don't want you to sell this because in the past you've gotten depressed from all this stuff. It's hard for me to determine if he's being unreasonable and like just very judgy, condescending, or if he is totally justified in this. Because it seems like maybe both. Yeah, I mean, I think this episode wants us to believe that Luke is maybe jumping to conclusions. Yeah. But I think there's also like precedent that she has fucked up like literally everything else she's done. Right. So it's sort of like... Which she admits. Exactly. And the episode kind of plays it both ways. So you're like, okay, well, yeah, maybe he's being judgy, but like if this happens every six months, maybe... It seems like Luke doesn't believe people can change. Yeah. And she does. Yeah. Herself and Jess. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like you kind of said, it is maybe a little presumptuous of her to assume she could just like sell her earrings here. But she's also right that people like them. Yes. And want to buy them. But she does a bunch of other presumptuous stuff that we'll get to later. Yeah. I mentioned Kirk with his walkie-talkie. So Kirk is, like, trying to put this Firelight Festival together. And his interactions with his helpers throughout the whole episode are pretty funny. Like, we don't see this, but we hear that he gets stuck in a tree off camera at some point. That's so funny. And they they bring him down with, like, tuna cans? He's a cat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What? Uh, at some point, some kids steal some of the bonfire wood, and he's just chasing after them. His buddy, at some point, steals his walkie-talkie, and they play, like, monkey in the middle with Kirk. Yeah, this is always just, like, one line in the background of something, but it's very funny. Yeah, and then there's one more that was really funny where he's, like, yelling at his friend in his walkie-talkie, and the guy doesn't hear him, and he's like, use your walkie-talkie, and he's like, I lost it! <laughs> really funny. That guy's voice is just pretty funny. Joe, the other guy? Yeah. Is he a character we've met before? Yeah, he was in the episode where they're making the big pizza. The pizza, yeah, we have. Yeah, you're right. He's also just in the background occasionally, but he's had lines before and has been named. Like I said about Liz, she does admit to a lot of this stuff. Later, Lorelai sees Luke's truck and runs up to him because she wants to remind Luke to please fix her window. But then she sees that the driver isn't Luke, it's Liz. Liz mistakes Lorelai immediately for his new wife because she's never met her and says, like, oh, you look just like his type. That's very interesting. Ooh. 
Lorelai's like, no, I'm just a friend and customer. And then Liz is like, cool, cool, cool. And then she just starts absolutely gushing over how much she loves Luke and talks about how many times she's messed up and Luke has bailed her out over and over and over again. It's weird. Honestly, she just starts pouring her entire life story out to Lorelai, a complete stranger, with zero prompting. Yeah. It also came across like, I can fuck up as much as I want because I know Luke will fix it. Yeah, exactly. But like she is so much, there's so much exposition here. It's like, it doesn't seem like a real interaction with a person. Yeah. Like she goes into a lot of detail about how she and Luke tried their best with Jess and didn't succeed, even though no one is asking about Jess right now. Who tells a stranger about how they failed raising their son through a car window? Yeah, that's weird. She goes on and on and and Lorelai's just like, "Uh uh-huh, okay, cool. She also has her hands on the wheel like the entire time. It made me like nervous. I was like, you're having a conversation. Just like relax a little. Yeah, she just, it's honestly though, it's like she's just sharing so much with a stranger right now. Like maybe Luke doesn't want her to say all that stuff to Lorelai. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, Luke tried his best with Jess, but like this woman doesn't, we know that Lorelai knows about Jess, but. And she asks if she knows Jess, and she's like, yes. She doesn't go into why or how. Right, or any of the, her issues. But to, like, be like, well, you know, Luke failed there. Like, okay, cool. Later, Luke returns to find Liz is stealing a pie, a whole pie. And, and steaks. Two huge steaks from his restaurant for dinner. He's all like, what are you doing? She's like, you can spare it. Like, it's no big deal because she wants the food to make dinner for her guys. Does Luke sell steak? I assume he does. I just wouldn't go to a diner for steak. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, but Star's Hollow doesn't have, like, probably a really nice steak restaurant either. Yeah, that's true. She's making dinner for her guys, which is Luke and her new boyfriend, TJ, upstairs. So she's stealing some expensive food from Luke, and she just left her boyfriend alone in Luke's apartment without asking him. I feel like this is trying to tell us about Liz. Like, I don't think it's okay to steal steaks from Luke. No. Even if Liz is like, oh, I'm doing it for a good reason, so it's okay. She did say she'd get more later, too. Like, Only after it. he pressed her about it. That's true. And it's it's like you're stealing from his business. He probably needs to sell that to people. Yeah. And again, this is fine if she asked him. That's not crazy. But she just assumed it would be fine. And her being like, I'll buy it later. That was only after he started giving her shit about it. I don't think she was planning on, like, paying him back for any of this. Right. Also, like, just letting a stranger into his apartment is weird. I don't know. She's like, oh, he's only been up there for, like, 30 seconds. It's like, well, he doesn't. You should tell him you're bringing someone over to his place. Anyway, it's self-serving. It's not a good deed. We finally meet TJ, her new beau. And he seems nice enough. But also, he seems like an idiot. Very Joey from Friends. Yeah, that's how I would describe him. Like a nice guy, pretty simple. Yeah, he's like, I'm making chili, which is also like... How yeah, many I thought we were you... making steak. Yeah, <sighs> I guess the steak is much later, it needs to be marinated now, I don't know. Yeah, this might be lunch, when they're having dinner later. But also, like, it's just so weird to be like, yeah, my boyfriend's over, he's making food in your kitchen. Which I think is just a can of chili that he's heating up. Yeah. TJ, I think, is supposed to be pretty simple, though. Like, the dude still has an Etch-A-Sketch. Which they talk about, it's not like we see it. But, like, yeah, that is a weird detail. He packed it and brought it with? And he says Stars Hollow reminds him of New York City? What? Yeah, everyone's like, how? Yeah, they're like, there's an energy. No, it's a different-ass energy. Let me tell you that right now. We haven't been to Stars Hollow, but we've been to Wisconsin, and it's a different energy. In Stars Hollow, people smile and talk to each other. That's not something that happens here. If someone smiles and talks to you that you don't know, you get the fuck away from them in New York City. (laughs) He also, like, offers Luke some beer, and Luke's like, oh, would I like some of my beer from my refrigerator? Sure. That was funny. That was very funny. He keeps bringing that up, too. He offers beer to Jess later, too, and he's like, oh, yeah, you can have some of my beer. One thing that happens is TJ asks Luke, like, what do you think TJ stands for? And Luke doesn't want to answer, but finally he's like, Thomas Jefferson. TJ's response is unclear whether that's actually what it stands for or not. Yeah, he's like, no, Thomas Jefferson. 
Wow, that's a weird guess. So does that mean like he was expecting Luke to get it wrong and then he got it right and he was surprised that he got it right? Right. That's how I read it is that he was ready to say no to whatever Luke said. I read it that he got it wrong and he was saying, no, that's not right. And that was just like, wow, Thomas Jefferson's a weird guess, though. Right. What do you think? I mean, later we find out his name is not TJ. It's Gary. Yeah, and that's what TJ stands for. So he's a dumb guy. Uh, (laughs) So I don't think it's Thomas Jefferson. But what's also funny is that Jess stops by later to get his notebook. He left it behind. Liz makes him stay to meet TJ, and TJ's like, guess what TJ means? And Jess is just like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Very funny. It's very funny that Luke humored him, even though he really didn't want to. Yeah. But Jess is just like, no. Eventually, Jess is like, I got to go. And Luke follows him outside and then is essentially just like, hey, man, TJ sucks, right? And Jess is like, yeah, TJ sucks. All of her boyfriends suck. But Luke insists that they got to do something to warn her about TJ and get him out of the picture. And Jess just is like, why would we do that? And Luke's like, we can prevent, you know, her from doing her same cycle of like throwing her life away and getting hurt. There's also a funny line when Luke is like, he's a grown man with an edge sketch. And Jess is like, so shake him real hard. Maybe he'll disappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was funny. So Jess just tells Luke that Luke always wants to fix everybody, even if they don't want his help. They don't want fixing. And doing this makes Luke feel good about himself, makes Luke feel like he's a good guy. But really, Luke's unwanted help only really makes things worse for other people and makes them feel bad for not living up to Luke's expectations. This obviously gets to Luke because shortly after the scene, Lorelai finds him in her house very drunk. I want to talk about how he got in, okay? Okay. He says he got in by climbing a tree and crawling through her bedroom window, which he said she left open. That does not make sense. This episode has already made clear that the house is very, very cold. Why would she open her bedroom window, one, at all? Two, why would she leave it open? Unless they meant to say unlocked. But that also doesn't make sense. Like, Luke is just looking at the windows and he's like, that one's unlocked. Yeah. You can't tell. Did he try every window in the house? It's, I just feel like the writers didn't think about it. But Luke is just like a total mess right now. He's also like cut his hand working on the window. He cut it on the glass. And he's just like sopping all the blood from his hand into his shirt. He's going on and on about what Jess told him. Clearly it hit a nerve. Not the glass. What Jess said. Did you think Jess was right? Or like, is this something you observed or? I think Jess is kind of right. Yes. Okay. I think Jess isn't like totally right. Because, I mean, some of that was like, you make people feel like they didn't live up to your expectations. It was like, well, Jess, you're clearly talking about yourself right now. And honestly, like, he gave you basic expectations that you didn't live up to. So Yeah, yeah. That's kind of just like life expectations of what he expected of Jess, like, to graduate high school and, you know, like, try it stuff. Yeah. To be fair, though, I do think that Luke is, like, very condescending to everybody, even, like, good intention people. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of what he's talking about. And, like, asking to fix other people's stuff. Like, well, I mean, let's go back to the episode with the art, right? He was like, I'm not going to fix that table. No one asked him to. But then he ended up doing it. That's sort of what's going on here, right? He's like, I'm not going to do that thing. It's not my responsibility. And then he does it. He does fix it, even though no one asked him for his help. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's always a bad thing, though. No. But I think Jess is right as it relates to TJ in this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lorelai sits very drunk Luke down and, like, puts a Barbie Band-Aid on his hand. She can't look at the blood. Yeah. <laughs> She's, like, trying to clean it off without her eyes closed. There's a moment where she leaves him, and he, like, kind of puts his arm out. And I think it's just, like, he's drunk. But a little bit of me was like, oh, is that like a come back, I want to touch you? It felt not- like he had an instinct to, like, kind of pat her in, like, a, we're a couple sort of yes, way. Yes, not like a sexual way. Like a, I don't know, yeah, like, a, like I would hold you a little bit. Yeah, it felt very couple but yes. he was, like, drunk and didn't realize that was weird. Right. I don't think she caught it, though. No. 
There's some funny stuff in here. Him being drunk was kind of funny. She said she's leaving to get him a real bandage. He's like, I like the Barbie one. Yeah. She's like, well, all the other boys will make fun of you. He also says that Jess did him a favor. Yeah. Like, he's he's very upset about what Jess did, but I think he also, like, thinks he's right. Yeah. The character of Jess is obviously there for, like, some growth in Rory, but I think it equally or more is, like, a mirror for Luke that no one else really gives him. Yeah. Lorelai leaves him and then goes to find Jess. And when she does, she just tells him off and also ends it with like, by the way, Rory is over you and is super happy. Please leave Stars Hollow. And I think that when she says that to him, I feel like it it did connect to Jess when she says that she's over you and never been happier. Yeah. Just like, she doesn't say anything, but I feel like you can see it in his eyes. I don't know that Lorelai knows Rory is over it. Like she hasn't dated anyone else. I agree with you on that. That's true. I feel like maybe she... Rory's not moping anymore about it. Mm-hmm. So she's like, she's not obsessed with you anymore. There's kind of an unimportant scene where they visit Babette where Rory's like, he'll be gone soon. And like, I'm fine. And Lorelai just keeps saying like, yeah, she's fine. But like, is she fine? We don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. That, that is a funny scene. It's very quick. They go to Bad Bats because they're cold, because their house is cold, you know, because Lorelai's got the goddamn window open in her bedroom for mm-hmm. some reason. And they're just over there for the heat. And Bad Bats like, oh, I can't believe you came over. Why did you come over? And they're just like, oh, we just missed you. We wanted to talk to you. <laughs> and Apricot the cat is there. Lorelai's holding the cat. Yeah. Later that night at the Rare Manuscript Acquisition Fundraiser, which I always have to look at the words to say. It's such a long <laughs> fundraiser name. Emily is annoyed that Lorelai brought Rory and not a male date because their table is short on men. She even says to Lorelai, you know, it isn't your looks that keep men away. Think about that. Rory's like, do you want me to leave? (laughs) Super mean, not mean to Rory, but like not happy to see her. That comment from Emily, though, was interesting, though, because it was like it was mean. But it also is like, you're beautiful, by the way. Like, right, yeah, it's a very backhanded compliment. Right, uh, it was meant to be mean, but like, it is a little bit like, you are beautiful, I'm admitting that. But also, I think Emily means it like, it's tough. I think she's like saying like, because your attitude and your the way you behave. But also like, Lorelai is weird about commitment, man. Yeah. With all her, all her men. I mean, I don't think Lorelai has any problem attracting guys, but Emily also probably wants her to be with a specific type of guy. Sure. That wouldn't want to be with Lorelai the way she is. Yeah. Well, Jason is, but she doesn't like Jason. I exactly. feel like Jason's the type of guy she wouldn't, she would want him I feel to. like Emily would actually be fine with Max Medina. Yes, I think Max Medina would have been fine. They never properly met. And they seem to approve of Christopher, even though he seems to be also simultaneously a bit of a mess. Is Christopher a mess? Well, he like lied about his job. I think he's okay now, but like in the beginning of the show. Yes, totally. He was a mess at the beginning. But I feel like the point of that, his plot was that he turned himself around. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, their table is Lorelai, Richard, Rory, Emily, and Richard and Jason's two silent secretaries. And a coat they draped over a chair to suggest another man is sitting there. Like one of the women's husbands. Yeah, and they have this, like, complicated story about how this imaginary man is, like, making the rounds and he's going to get sick later. That's why they won't see him at the table. By the way, Marjorie is the name of the secretary that, like, wasn't going to follow Richard to his new business. And then he, like, hired a woman named Karen. Right. So is this the Marjorie, or did they hire a different woman named Marjorie and got rid of Karen? That's a good point. I didn't notice that. I don't know. Also very clear that Emily doesn't think these women are worthy of this event. Yeah, she's like, sh- at least act like you belong here. Yeah. Yeah, Emily's just a monster in this episode. <laughs> so funny, though. It is very funny. When Jason shows up, Emily demands that he and Lorelai pretend to be dating, so it seems like their table has some couples at it. This is kind of funny, because Jason, like, takes Lorelai's hand, and he's like, hey, your mom's sad. <laughs> that was really funny. 
I don't know why they have to pretend to be a couple, though. I, I don't get why, like, if the table's full, who cares who it is? It doesn't make sense, because, like, if Emily hates the idea of these two being together, which yeah. she's expressed is ludicrous. Yeah. People are going to see them together and, like, ask Richard and Emily if they're dating. Yeah, that's true, because these people all know Richard and Jason. Yeah. That's a really good point. Or at least Richard and I mean, Maybe these aren't their work people. Maybe well, like, his dad's there. Yeah. There's more about this that doesn't make sense, but we'll get there. Well, this bit about them pretending to be a couple, honestly, is kind of dumb. Like, the the holding the hand part was kind of funny. But then they're, like, holding hands a long time. Like, couples wouldn't hold hands constantly unless yeah. they're, like, brand new, which I guess they would be in this case. And I also just don't buy Emily's attitude about it. And the show didn't, like, explore the joke enough. This could have been, like, a fun running bit at the table for a while, especially if they had seen him been longer. Mm-hmm. But they drop this bit, like, almost as soon as they introduce it. And like, like I said, it doesn't make sense. He makes a joke about like yeah. getting to mm-hmm. go make out in the coat room or she does like. Well, they were, they're discussing about how far can we push this? Can we go for a walk together? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, can we go to the coat room and make out? And they're like, we'll see. Which going to the coat room and making out like that, that's obviously a secret thing. Yeah. So. Like they wouldn't be taking it that far. Like if Emily and Richard walked in on that, they would know something was going on. Yeah. But also like it wouldn't make sense to, to hide it then. It would be one thing to be like, could we make out here at the table? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, this joke ends with Emily telling them they can stop pretending to be dating because nobody was believing that they were a couple anyway. <laughs> it was a bit heavy-handed. I don't know. Interestingly enough in this scene, Jason's father stops by and asks Jason about his golf game. It seems, like, nice enough, but also very, like, this is just some guy you do business with who doesn't know you that well, not your dad. But it seems like his father isn't still angry about Jason's, like, business betrayal by working with Richard. He doesn't seem angry at his son. Yeah, because Laura was like, wow, he must be angry at you. That was so cold. He's like, no, it's just, like, how we talk. Yeah. Richard insists that the fact that his dad asked about his golf game and not about his business is some sort of, like, business tactic. Which maybe is true. I don't know. Yeah, Emily's like, what is he doing here? He never cared about rare manuscripts before. (laughs) (laughs) Who did? At this event, a speaker makes a joke about Nag Hammadi. And everybody laughs. But then it becomes clear that no one actually knows what the joke was about because no one knows what Nag Hammadi is. What's funny is that the title of the episode just explains what it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like where the Gnostic Gospels were found. It's funny because so many of the titles, I think, are very specific references that we don't even get half the time. Like a lot of times listeners will be like, it was this, I think. I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. We missed that. But this one is just straight up like, nobody knows. Here's the answer. Yeah, it's a great. I remember reading the title. I'm like, what a dumb title. And then finishing the episode, I'm like, okay, thanks, title. (laughs) That was a good one. So Gilmore Girls, A plus for titles this week. So finally, it's Firelight Festival time. It's the same night. During the Firelight Festival, TJ stops by Luke's to tell him that Liz is leaving soon. And it'd be nice if Luke stopped by to say goodbye. Luke is honestly like kind of a total prick in this scene, if I'm being real. Mm-hmm. He like really talks down to TJ a lot and sort of sounds like, yeah, maybe I'll go talk to my sister for this time, kind of. That's the attitude. I, this isn't the last time we see TJ. Uh-huh. Spoilers. Is he this season's big bad? Yeah. I feel like I remember him being dumber than they portray him in this episode. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely not like the brightest bulb in the tanning bed. Is that something people say? Yeah, dumb people. <laughs> But I feel like they maybe Eric from Boy Meets World, his character a bit. Make him dumber? Yeah. I can't remember. Like, it's been a while since I watched these later ones. Eric from Boy Meets World, his character is a verb Stacey's invented. <laughs> <laughs> they know what I mean if they love Boy Meets World. He was like a perfectly normal, average teenager, and then they just made him, like, insanely stupid. Yeah. I don't think this goes that far. But I feel like TJ comes across more just, like, down-to-earth, normal guy in this episode than I remember him being. Yeah. But Luke is treating him like he's so dumb. 
And I don't know that he's really proven that. He's just kind of simple. Yeah, but also just very rude. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm busy. Maybe I'll talk to my sister, but I'm busy. Uh, I also want to say they did that to Joey and Friends, too. Joey was never smart when the show started, but by, like, season 10, the guy, like, couldn't tie his t- shoelaces Exactly. Together. They might Joey him more than Eric him. <laughs> uh, honestly, Luke is so mean to TJ in this scene and so short with him. I'm, like, sort of surprised TJ didn't get annoyed and, like, confront him about this. But... He is a little computational. He's like, you sure you need to keep working? It looks like you're kind of just making up shit to do with your receipts. You coming outside or what? Like, Absolutely. He's, he's not right. afraid to push Luke, which right. is Right, cool. I wanted to say he wasn't confronting him in like a, hey, buddy, let's take this outside kind of way. But he is very pushy, like, in a way that I feel like makes us think that he does care about Liz. Yeah. He's like, you know, it uh, doesn't look like you have much left. You know, it'd be really nice if you go talk to her. Uh, hold you to your promise. And I think this is supposed to let us know that TJ's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Because he isn't getting, like, physically confrontational with Luke. But he is clearly pushing for the well-being of his partner. Yeah. Uh, so he leaves. And I feel like maybe Luke senses that, too, when TJ leaves. Luke eventually comes outside to say goodbye. And then Carrie and two other girls from their high school reunion, all drunk and wanting to fuck him, Yeah. <laughs> uh, stop Luke at the festival. He's still like, I didn't make out with you. They're all like, yeah, you did. Also, do you want to come to a concert with us? Do you want to do a foursome with us? The foursome seems like a joke, but like, maybe not? Like, Liz is definitely showing cleavage. Me, Carrie? Yeah. No, Liz is also there. <laughs> Whoa. Carrie was like, definitely like pulling her shirt down a little bit. But they're all married. Yeah. And then he's like, so you guys never got married? They're like, no, we're all married. <laughs> Just want to bone you, buddy. Eventually, he finds Liz, who then apologizes to him about lying about not being in touch with Jess. She was just trying to repair her relationship with Jess. Oh, but also he comes across, like, TJ bragging to a group of people about how great her earring business is going. Yeah. Again, showing that, oh, maybe TJ's a good guy. And they're going to go to a renaissance fair in Minnesota to unveil the booth. Yeah, a booth that TJ has made for her. Because you got to have a good sign and a big flashy booth. Yeah. And so it's clear, like, oh, TJ not only cares about her, he's, like, really trying to support her and her He believes in her, yeah. Yeah. We find out that TJ's name is Gary, mm-hmm. which is weird. I don't know why he's called TJ. We don't find out why he's called TJ. And that Liz has a good feeling about Jess. Yes. She says she thinks that Jess will be all right. Luke's like, eh, we'll see. What I found really interesting in this scene was two things that Liz says. One is that their dad used to take them to the Firelight Festival, even though we hated it, because their dead mother liked it. And also, too, that Jess is a lot like their dad, which to me felt like the show was implying that Jess can change or is willing to act differently or behave differently if he actually loves somebody. Mm. That love will make him change and do things. Because Jess, I feel like, is all about himself, protecting himself. Luke says that. Yeah. And if you're saying he's like his dad, well, maybe he'll do stuff that isn't in his best interest for love. I didn't even think of that. It's because they kind of brought those things up for no reason otherwise. So you're right. Yeah, so I think that that was the implication is that, hey, Jess, if he loves somebody, that means something. He can change. She also gives Luke some earrings to give to his wife or his friend Lorelai. Luke eventually talks to TJ and says he heard that Liz is thinking about moving to Stars Hollow and that he wanted him to know that he thinks that's okay. Then he goes on to say that he wrongly assumed TJ was a shitty guy, just like Liz's previous boyfriends. But actually, TJ seems like a good guy. TJ's like, cool, you're a dick. (laughs) Yeah. Walks away. Totally fair, TJ. Before TJ said that, you were like, ugh. You really didn't like what Luke said? Yeah, I just because he was trying to be nice. I was like, no, man. My sister's damaged goods. Afterwards, Lorelai shows up, and Luke gives her the earrings. So, like, what the fuck is the deal with Nicole? Is she dead? Is Nicole dead? Yeah, he's hiding her body. Like, I don't understand what's going on. Nicole's just been out of the picture for forever. I feel like the show needs to tell us, or it needs to be, like, a big surprising reveal. Mm-hmm. 
Because last we heard, they were he's living with her, supposedly. Yeah. If he's not living with her, then I just I don't understand what their relationship is. Well, I get I mean, we'll find out, I'm sure, but it, it was really bothering me. I mean, it clearly I think it was supposed to indicate that he loves Lorelai. We know that. More than Nicole. We all know that. But I just want to know what's going on with Nicole. I'm sure they'll tell us. I'm sure they will. Jess is getting ready to go, but then he finds a bunch of money in his car's visor, which is certainly from Luke to help pay for the repairs. It's gotta be. He's the only one with money. Yeah. I'm not sure if he seems annoyed at Luke and he's going to go yell at him and give him back his money. That's my thought. Yeah, I would guess. Or if he's going to go thank Luke. Because he also just got yelled at by Lorelai for saying mean things about Luke. Mm -hmm. And Jess also demanded that Luke pay for all this. So it's sort of like, are you mad at Luke or are you happy that Luke did what you asked him to do? Right, right. Because then he yelled at him for fixing problems. It's like, well, this was his problem to fix. Right. So, And it's not clear from Jess's reaction. He sort of... It does, he doesn't look angry. He kind of just looks like, I got to do deal with this now, which can go either way. Well, he goes to the Firelight Festival to say something to Luke, but then he runs into Rory, who's in line for hamburgers mm-hmm. while her mother is in line for hot dogs. All the carts. All the carts. All the food. Yeah, that's right. This time, though, she decides to run away. She's like, nope, you don't get to run away. In like a zigzag? Yeah, so she runs in a zigzag pattern, looking like an idiot. Jess chases her until she stops. He's like kind of out of breath, but I'm like, you guys didn't actually run that far. No. So you shouldn't be out of breath. He's like, when did you learn to run like that? I'm like, do you mean fast? You seem like you mean fast and hard. but Do you mean like, where did she learn to run like an idiot? Yeah. Because that's not how people run. She said in a recent episode she does a good idiot run. So maybe she's been practicing it. It looks like she's running away from like an alligator because you're supposed to run like a zigzag (laughs) pattern. He stops. She's like, I want want to say, I want to talk to you. And she's like, fine. I've played this moment over a million times in my head. What could you possibly say to me after leaving me like you did? And Jess just stands there for a moment, and then he just says, I love you. And then, you know, she's nonplussed. She doesn't know what to say. And he just, like, walks away then. Drives away. Well, he gets in a car first. But he's presumably leaving town. Yeah. Then he, like, leaves town. Cue the la-la-la song and the credits. That's the end. That's the end. I mean, I hate this aspect of Jess. He's just got to, like, he just can't, you can't deal with his problems. Like, Jess is supposed to be, like, a strong, I feel like, strong guy. And, like, I... I don't know. I just can't imagine saying that and then he just leaves. Like, what, is he going to get his feelings hurt? Like, Thinking about it now, I mean, he had every intention of leaving town at that moment. He wasn't going to say anything to Rory. He only got out of his car because of seeing the money. Right. So maybe he was just like, yeah, I love you, but your mom just fucking told me off. Everyone in this town hates me. What Does it matter that I love you? I guess in my head, I'm thinking he needs to say sorry. Yeah. And I think he knows he needs to say sorry. I don't think Jess thinks he did her right by leaving. No. I mean, I feel like the show's let us know he knows he hurt her and she deserves an apology. And to say I love you without saying I'm sorry, I I don't know, I didn't buy that. I feel like he needed to say I'm sorry. And I don't mean like I'm mad at that character. I just feel like I don't believe that the character wouldn't say it. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Of course, Rory is just like shocked by this, so she's probably hurt again. She's going to have to rebound to Marty. Oh, was I right? You were silent. I was right. She's rebounding to Marty. So, Stace, do you think this is a good episode? I think it was good, yeah. I maybe liked last week's more. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff. I like when Jess and Luke have, like, serious conversations. Especially when Jess, who's not doing great in general, like, really points out a flaw in Luke. And Luke is like, fuck, you're right. Yeah. Like, there's, there's a show has several moments like that. I don't know. It's always fun to see that. The Firelight Festival was kind of fun. Just to see, like, little snippets of that. Getting ready for that. And, like, everyone coming together with that. I liked... TJ. Yeah. I don't know. We were just like learning more about Luke's character outside of Lorelai. Right. 
which I think is maybe overdue. So having more characters besides Jess to show that was interesting. Um, I thought, that, yeah, you pointed out like some of the Emily and Richard stuff was like over the top, but it was funny. Yeah. I really like that joke where they're like, had the complicated backstory for the coach. Lorelai's like, okay, and then I'll deliver the baby or whatever. And then oh, they're like, yeah. you're making this ridiculous. <laughs> it already was ridiculous. Yeah. And then Rory's like, yeah, it is ridiculous. I want to be the doctor. <laughs> yeah. I like when Rory is ridiculous to Emily and Richard because usually Lorelai's the one that handles that. But it's funny when Rory takes her mom's side knowing Richard and Emily hate it. Yeah. And Emily's like a little shocked, like, oh, what? <laughs> But yeah, I, I think the previous episode, since this almost felt like a two-parter, I feel like the other one maybe had some stronger moments. Yeah. But not, there's really nothing too wrong with it. Drunk I think Luke, I would say this one was better than last week's. I don't know. I'm, yeah, they go together. We could disagree. I, I don't, after talking about it, I don't know that I feel that way, but I feel like I felt that way after watching it. Mm-hmm. I think maybe because the Rory and Jess thing is so dumb. Like, yeah. they're just avoiding each other the whole episode and then they have a big confrontation and it's nothing. I do buy Jess just avoiding conversations with her the first two times. Mm-hmm. I do buy it. I think he would do that. It's like, it's over. I Like, why dredge this up? I don't even want to be here. I'm never going to see you again. Um, but I just don't buy the third interaction. But it was good. It was a good episode. I agree. Also, that window would not be open. Sure. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed is another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed, Season 4, Episode 13, Charmed and Dangerous, the source breaks an age-old agreement between good and evil by stealing the hollow, an ancient vapor which he uses to absorb Piper and Paige's powers. All right, so he's got to break that fence, right? Yeah, they, they put up a magic fence to keep him out. Unless they're not at home. Oh, I see. Yeah, maybe they go to a dinner party. Yep. Which he knew, because he's been standing outside the fence. Yeah. And they knew that, too. They're like, oh, my God, he just doesn't give up. And there's this old agreement between good and evil, and they're like, hey, guys, nobody uses the hollow, how about? And everyone's like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, a long time ago, good and evil had a dinner party. Yeah. When they made this agreement. They're like, we can do everything, we can kill, we can possess, we can murder, all that stuff, but, like, nobody should use the hollow. But the hollow comes in, like, the cutest little jars. Yeah. It's so tempting. So cute. Uh, Well, he gets it, which absorbs their powers. The only person left with the power is... Prue. No, Prue's dead. Because uh. <laughs> the, the source. The source sent Shaq to yeah. smash Prue through a wall or something. Piper, Paige, and... Phoebe. Phoebe. Yeah, and Phoebe is just kind of distracted with Cole yeah. lately. They've been getting really hot and heavy. Hot and heavy. She's getting the vapors, if you know what I'm saying. Wow, um, I do, and that's graphic. Yeah, it's very graphic. You know what? I think that Prue sends a message. Yep. Prue was in a painting at the dinner party when they lost their powers. Yeah. So she jumps into a painting in Phoebe and Cole's bedroom. I mean, she can't talk, but like she she moves a little, and like Phoebe sees that, and she she's like, I don't know if I saw that, but like maybe I did. I don't know that Prue's alive, but like maybe she is. Maybe she's trying to send me a message. So she finds the address on the fridge. She goes to the dinner party and is like, hey, good and evil people, I think the hollow's been used. And everyone there is like, whoa, 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 we agreed at our annual good and evil dinner party. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. The dinner party that Piper and Paige went to was the good and evil dinner party. It's an annual thing. It's not the one where they agreed not to use it. Okay. But it's they get together. So there's this big, like, who used the hollow? And then the sword's like, it was me. I used the hollow. (laughs) I got all kinds of power now. Yeah, it's like the one time a year they can all get together and agree to put politics aside. Yeah. It's nice. So they get a vacuum cleaner and they suck up all the vapor. Mm-hmm. And that takes away the source's newfound powers. Yep. And so everything gets reset. Yeah. 
They blow them back into Piper and Paige's mouths. Yeah, they hotbox it back into their mouths. Everyone goes back home. The source follows them and keeps staring at them through the fence. And then Phoebe and Cole get back to it while Prue watches. <laughs> yeah, she watches. We find out this isn't the first time she's been in that painting. Well, the episode ends with like the hollow watching, and he's like, I'm always watching through the fence, but Wait. then also it cuts to Prue and she's like, I'm also watching. The hollow is a vapor. How is the hollow? You mean the source? I meant the source. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The hollow is just a vapor. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It was actually one of the best episodes of Charmed. Yeah, because of the sex scene. Yeah, it was very graphic and it went on for a while. Yeah. They forgot this is on like, yeah, they showed basic cable. full nudity <laughs> of just coal. And I was like, okay. Anyway. This has been Meanwhile on Charmed. So, Stacey, we also watched Buffy mm-hmm. finally getting to some season arc stuff. Can you please tell us about the Iron Team? So, this episode is about Buffy officially becoming part of the initiative, which her friends are not so sure about. And we also learn a lot more about the. Did you just sing that? Yeah. <laughs> a lot more about Giles. We don't learn any more Giles. No, we no. learn a lot more about the initiative and Maggie Walsh's intentions. What are her intentions? I don't know. Is she in love with Riley? What's happening? I don't know. Well, we learn a lot about her intentions and the initiative's intentions and that maybe they're not so great. It opens with Anya, Xander, and Willow playing stupid three-person poker in Xander's basement. Willow's cheating by praying to the magic gods. Anya doesn't understand this stupid human game. Xander's been roped into like a candy bar selling pyramid scheme, it seems. Yeah. And Buffy's not there because she's off with Riley. Or her spanking new boyfriend, as Willow calls him. To which Anya says, yes, we've enjoyed spanking. To yeah. which Xander replies by throwing his cards everywhere. I'll love the juice box moment. Yeah. Oh, Anya. Oh, Anya. I'm glad Xander's having sex. His life is bad, so yeah, I'm they, glad he's having sex with a beautiful woman. They gave him something. Yeah. It is fun that she's kind of the new Cordelia. Yeah. In that she's just, like, blunt. Yeah, even more so, because she's, like, doesn't understand. Like, Cordelia was, like, not tactful, but, like, Anya's like, I don't know what is not okay to say at all. Yeah. Like, Cordelia wouldn't mention her having sex, I feel like. Right. Cordelia just wasn't afraid to point out if, like, something someone said was stupid. or, or Yes, exactly. Cordelia was like, I can be mean. Anya's like, I don't know what mean necessarily is. Yeah. Turns out Buffy is with Riley and the initiative doing some kind of like training exercise where they hunt her and then she fights them all. Riley straight up shoots one of them with his lightning gun. Like, how does that work? I think they're just like tasers. You can get tasered and you're fine. Yeah. Buffy later says it was a taser blast and that it took the guy two hours to recover. That seems like, did he sign up for that? I mean, I think they did. Because she also says that she used him as a shield. So was like Riley gonna tase Buffy and see if she could dodge it? Yeah. It doesn't seem like he would tase Buffy. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, I think she signed up for this. Like they all did. Like this is the test. We're going full, all out. We're not going to actually shoot you with a gun, but you might get tased. Also, he shot after she put the guy in front of her. Like she takes him and puts him in front of her and like holds him and then Riley shoots. So it's not like she quickly blocked it. Yeah. I don't know, maybe that was just for timing so we could process what happened. I mean, I think so. But Professor Walsh pops out, claps. You know, I don't know if she claps, but show's over. She tells her that was all very impressive. And Riley's like, see, you're hit. Everybody loves you. But clearly Forrest, and especially Professor Walsh, aren't so sure about Bobby. The next day, in the cafeteria, which is clearly formerly the loungy area of their high school. Yeah, this is clearly the same set. I never really noticed it before, but it, it looks like exactly the same window area. Buffy's recounting all of this to Willow, and she brags about how great Professor Walsh thinks she is. 
And Bilbo's like, cool, cool. Hope you're like not too busy with your new life to hang out at the bronze with us tonight like we planned. And Buffy's like, yeah, that sounds adorable. 100% will be there. Def not too busy with my new boyfriend or secret government agency things. Yeah. And Willow's talking about her last night, and Buffy's kind of listening, but mostly she's staring at Riley, who's just come in, and is apparently only eating a Twinkie for lunch, and Buffy's like, oh, he is so going to be punished. Couple things. Willow says, everyone's getting spanked but me, which is a funny joke. Yeah, I thought that was a good joke. But also, Buffy, last time we saw you eat in this cafeteria, pretty sure you were only having soda and soft serve for lunch. Yeah, I know. Did you, you broke get, the machine. Did you get punished? <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's the kind of punishment he's into. Maybe it's because he forgot the sugary beverage to balance out his meal, which he's upset. <laughs> yeah, totally. Not to mention that time in high school you ate three different jellos. <laughs> yeah. That's all you had. Now, how many times have we seen you with, like, a sucker? Like, <laughs> shut up. Yeah. At Spike's house, as you teased in the last episode, Spike has moved into the crypt that they were in, which is very sunny somehow. Why hasn't he covered the windows? Yeah. Like, he's just sleeping and there's just sunshine coming in. Yeah. You gotta at least, if there's gonna be sunshine, get some curtains or wake up before the sun comes out so you know you're not in the way of it. I almost feel like I remember this set from whatever I gleaned in like the one or two minutes I would occasionally catch of Buffy when I'd like randomly had the WB on. I was gonna ask, maybe we talked about this in the beginning, but like what was your knowledge of Gilmore Girls? Because like you were clearly tuning in. No knowledge whatsoever. You knew it existed? Like, would you see commercials for I'm it? I'm sure I did, but I just never remembered them. Like, I don't know. There's probably all kinds of shows I saw commercials for. I don't remember. Yeah. I just didn't know. Like, if you ever, like, caught the last couple minutes. Like, if they were ever on at the same night. No, I never caught anything that I can recall. I remember Seventh Heaven promos. Yeah. But that was on the same night, I think, as Buffy. I think that's why I would occasionally, like, see either the beginning or the end of Buffy. Because it was on before or after Seventh Heaven, which mm-hmm. I watched. Yeah, I, so I bet I saw, like, the opening of Buffy a lot. Yeah, I never saw, I, I, there, maybe there was ads, I don't remember them at all. Okay, at Spike's house. Giles just walks in, I guess people do that at his house, so he figures that's okay to do here. He's here to thank Spike for his help with his demon problem last week, and to give him the $300 he promised him for helping him. He's also there to suggest that with Spike's newfound ability to fight demons, maybe his life has a higher purpose now. Spike's like, fuck off, I'm done with you guys. Come on, Spike, come around. You know you're gonna, just do it now. And then they scare us into thinking that Buffy and Riley are about to have sex. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it just cuts to them. Like, we don't have to do this. No, I, I want to. I'm ready. But they're really just talking about doing the whole face scan secret elevator thing to get down into initiative. Yeah. I knew it wasn't sex. It was like too abrupt of a cut from the previous scene about Spike to just jump right into a love scene. Right. They need some foreplay. So Riley leads Buffy down into the initiative by the hands like a weirdo. Like, you're going to work, guys. Just chill for a second. Buffy's very impressed by the big empty warehouse that is the initiative. I think, I mean, I, we say this every episode, but like it, it's comically bad. It's so cheap looking. Like it's just this huge empty room. With a pool filled with... <laughs> yeah, there's just a pit. Aluminum foil. Covered in foil. Bad nothing looking else. aluminum foil. And they just have a couple cars parked, and there's just constantly groups of military men walking to nowhere. There's a car, like, driving around somewhere. And then in the pit, there's just, like, two guys on tables being operated on. But there's, like, no tables with equipment or tools. It's just, like, guys on tables. And why wouldn't they, like, be quarantined? And, like, it doesn't make sense. There's, like, one little computer station. Yeah, it, it looks bad. What is the point of the foil? I think it's really just to, like, break up the space to make that part look interesting and scientific and not like a pool. Yeah, totally. 
But also, they just have cars parked in there, like, to make it seem like there's stuff going on. Probably just to fill up the space a little, yeah, too. But, honestly, watch these episodes and just look for the, like, squads of men marching nowhere. You pointed out that everything Buffy says seems like the opposite of what we're thinking. <laughs> wow, it's so impressive. Yeah, it looks so real and not fake. <laughs> and then Buffy and Riley just start making out. Like, can we be profesh about this day? Yeah. Like, can you imagine if you convinced your boss that they should hire me because I'm, like, the best in the biz at your job, and then I just, like, come in and sit on your lap and make out with you all day, day one? Oh, I, I, I am thinking about that. <laughs> well. She's great with PDFs and PDA. Okay. That was funny. Maggie Walsh comes over and gives Buffy the grand tour. Doesn't take long because there's two things in there. <laughs> Here's the cardboard computer. <laughs> Here's the fake lab. We're done. That's all the rooms we could afford. We learn a bit more about the pit. And Dr. Engelman, who's a leader in the field of xenomorphic behavior modification. We kind of already knew this, but they're reconditioning demons to make them less of a threat. Buffy stupidly almost spills the beans that she knows this because of Spike. And interestingly, she's protecting Spike. But like you said, there's really no reason to. Like, why wouldn't she just be like, I know where Spike is? In Doomed, she's like, why did we bring Spike to this excursion to our yeah. high school? Why aren't we killing him? Yeah, there's really no reason. Before, it was like, he's going to tell us information about the initiative, but now they have the information. Yeah, they have all of it. Again, I want to stress, Spike has tried to kill her and her friends multiple times. And he can't now, but that doesn't mean he won't figure out a way to do it. Yeah, He could pay someone angel. else to do it. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could argue, like, Buffy could stop whoever he pays, but still, he could bomb their house. Yeah, he could put a bomb in there. He could set fire to the house. He could pay someone to kill Buffy. I feel like he could put a bomb in Giles' house. Yeah. Would that hurt him? Maybe when it went off. Or, like, I don't know that his chip would, like, process that. Like, you know? Right. He could shoot Buffy with a gun. I think that would definitely hurt Spike. But I feel like it's probably something he'd be willing to do for, like, one shot. Buffy's dead. Whatever. I like Spike. I'm glad he's here. But it doesn't make sense. No. And I know people probably listening to this are like, no, I love Spike, too. But, like, if you think of it just logically... They should kill Spike 100%. Like, the difference between Spike and Angel right now is Angel is also a liability if he's around because he could go evil, right? Mm -hmm. But Angel would never intentionally go evil. In fact, he's out there trying to do good. Spike is actively wanting to go back to evil to do evil again. Yeah. So it's night and day difference. They show Buffy the armory. She kind of just ignores that and starts fondling some random equipment. Buffy, no. How about don't touch shit in this top secret place that you're lucky to be invited to? Also, that's basically the only equipment that they have in this place. So, like, be careful. (laughs) Yeah. The thing she's fondling is a new communications camera system. It's like a little headset that they're working on for people to wear in the field that also monitors their heart rate. Surely this won't be important later. But also, this is, like, new technology. Literally the same thing they have in the movie Aliens. Yeah. This exists. She gives Buffy a badge and a pager and welcomes her to the team. She says, like, I've always been meaning to get a pager. She's had a pager before. In Never Kill a Boy in the First Date, she had a pager. You said that, but I don't know if we've ever seen it. She says to Giles, if the world ends, page me. I think we see it. Okay. Buffy leaves, and then Maggie Walsh goes into the restricted area, specifically the 314 room. And in there is Dr. Engelman. He tells her that Buffy is an unnecessary risk. Then we reveal that they're building some kind of Frankenstein man that is almost ready to be woken up. His name is Adam. Probably not important. 314, if we if you don't remember, in the last episode, Ethan Rain warned Giles that the whole demon community was worried about something regarding the number 314. At the initiative. Yeah. Willow, meanwhile, is hanging out with Tara, who wants to give her this doll's eye crystal that belonged to her family for a long time. Willow's like, no, no, I can't. That's too much. But, like, maybe we could hang out together sometime and try some spells with it. 
And Tara's like, yeah, maybe tonight. Will's like, oh, shit, no, I am. <laughs> I'm into dudes still right now. I'm just laughing because Willow wouldn't say, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit, bro. Uh, <laughs> I can't. Willow's like, nah, man, I got plans with people who aren't you. And uh, <laughs> you can't come. You know what, bro? I'm out. This is what she says, though. Yeah. Not exactly, but like, she's like, you can't, you'd feel weird. I don't think you could, should come. I feel like she didn't need to say any of that. She could have just said, I have plans tonight, maybe tomorrow. Yeah. She was like specifically weird about it. Yeah. Like, oh, you won't like this. Your hair's oh, parted weird. Yeah. They're not into that. Just like cooler people than you. I'm sorry. I know enough about the show to suspect that this is maybe like a romantic thing that's happening with these two, but I don't know that that's obvious in the show at this point. Like if I didn't know that. I don't know. I feel like it is. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to figure out like exactly why Willow is embarrassed about Tara. Like oh. she, it shouldn't be because she's a witch. So are we to think Tara's a weirdo? Is it because she's shy? Or do you think we are to believe it's romantic and Willow doesn't know how to talk about that yet? I think it's that one. Okay. Because like the, the way they like, especially Tara, like they don't make eye contact mm-hmm. and like they shy away. But Tara's like, also very shy. Yeah. My opinion is tainted because I I know that this is maybe going somewhere. But do you remember your read on it the first time? I mean, I don't remember. I don't remember. But I, it just seems like they're trying to show that there's romantic. Like, why would Willow hide this from her friends? Like, that's they, what I'm trying to figure out. They wouldn't hide anyone else. I just don't know that they've spelled out. I mean, they they like touch hands and stuff. So maybe it's clear that it's romantic. And like the way that Tara asked her to like do spells was like kind of dateish, not just like let's hang out sometime. Like that wouldn't be weird. It right. would be such a thing. Right. At the bronze, Buffy still hasn't shown up, but eventually she does with Riley and all his little soldier buddies. They all walk away to get drinks. Xander and Anya walk away because Anya's uncomfortable about commandos. Makes sense. Being a former demon and all. So Willow and Buffy are left alone to talk. Okay, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just want to mention that Buffy looks fantastic in this scene. I remember thinking that Starman Chuck out was like, this is, yeah, this is the best I think you've looked all season. Hmm. Yeah, you liked her hair. Her hair was like, uh, you you described it as uh, ordered chaos or something like that? Organized chaos. Organized chaos. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her hair just looks fabulous. That's it. Cool. Well, um, we'll send her a letter. You also look great all the time. Right now you guys can't see this, but Stacey looks fantastic. You can't see me right now. I saw you a moment ago. You got something right here, by the way. Just right here. You can't see me. Just, just move right here. There's, there's shit just, in between us. He can't see me. Yeah, I know. There's shit's on your face. You got to. <laughs> <laughs> Willow and Buffy are left alone to talk. Willow is clearly peeved at Buffy for bringing extra people to this event. I relate to this. I feel like I've been in situations where I like make plans to hang out with a friend and then they just like bring another friend. Sometimes that's cool. And like you're glad you met that new person and then you're friends with them. But it's also like heads up would have been cool. Like you yeah. go into something being like, we're just going to hang out with this group of people. Yeah. You're like expecting a certain thing. And then to have like, I don't know, them with their old inside joke baggage extra is like, I don't know. I don't like not when people to mention, do that. It's like a gaggle of bros. It's not just like, oh, here's this, here's Riley or one other person I met. It's yeah. like, here's a bunch of guys that are, this, this hangout's about them. So I get why Will is annoyed. Yeah. It's one thing if you're like, this is going to be the kind of thing where we can all bring whoever we want. Right. But it was like, no, we're going to meet like with this tight group of people. Well, Willow says as much. She's like, I could have brought somebody. Uh-huh. And Buffy's like, ooh, who? And Willow says, oh, no one. Just like a hypothetical someone. But Buffy tells Willow the reason she was late because they were celebrating that she's officially part of the initiative now. And then Buffy's like, I'm also late because I spent an hour on my hair. <laughs> And Will is like, are you sure about this? Like, we still don't really know much about the initiative or, like, what their goals are, what exactly their plans are for these demons once they rehabilitate them. Then all the initiative people's pagers go off. 
They're being summoned. This doesn't make any sense. Like, they're covert as fuck. They would have a much subtler communication form than, like, everyone's pager loudly going off at the bar. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. Wouldn't everyone the next day be like, why did they all have pagers and leave together? If they're trying to, like, hide their identities? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I just don't know what the better thing would be. I I see what you're saying. A vibrating pager? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Just Riley getting paged if he's with them? I mean, I guess they don't know where everyone is, but they they could. They are fucking stalking everybody in this episode. So they're all going to go. Riley says, mother wants us? That's just like some creepy Norman Bates shit. (laughs) What? So they all go in for a briefing. Dr. Engelman is explaining that they're looking for this big, nasty demon whose arms eject bone skewers during battle, and he really wants them to not damage its arms. And Buffy's just full of questions. Why don't we want to destroy its arms? Well, we want to study them intact. What do they want? We don't know. We don't care. And then Professor Walsh is like, shut the fuck up, Buffy. Let's just go find this thing. We're done with questions. It's also funny. They're all in, like, commando outfits, and she's just got, like, her going out to the club outfit on. She's like, I slayed in this halter before. It's okay. They tell them this is a zap and trap, a capture, not a kill. So they go out hunting. Buffy's all worried about Professor Walsh being mad at her for all the questions she asks. And Riley's like, nah, she likes you. She liked you before I did. But she did. Yeah. In the show, she uh, in the initiative episode, Buffy like confronts her about what she said to Willow and then leaves. And Professor Walsh is like, I like her. But Buffy's like, what? You didn't like me? In a separate commando team, Forrest confesses his reservations about Buffy without moving his mouth. Yeah, it was such a bad edit. Yeah, it's like panning over to this group of guys hiding in some bushes. And we hear Forrest's voice, but like just as it gets to his face, he's still talking, but his mouth is not moving. Yeah. He suddenly gets very upset that Riley's got a girlfriend, even though he very much encouraged all this from the beginning. Like, I don't get why he's mad, but he seems like jealous maybe that Riley's spending time with her or that she's getting more attention. I mean, to be fair, Buffy's being very unprofessional at these military meetings. Yeah. I don't blame Buffy at all. She's better than all these people. But like from someone that's like there's a rank and file and reason we do stuff probably is irritating. Yeah. This girl just shows up dressed like street clothes, and she's all like, why aren't we doing any of this? Like, I get why he's annoyed at her. But we don't really get to explore this. Right. Because just then, they see Spike casually walking home with a bag full of groceries, and they try to throw a net around him, but Spike, like, throws one of them against a tree and then throws his groceries at another one without feeling pain somehow? Yeah, it's unclear why he's not being hurt by this. I wonder if, like, him, like, taking off the net is what, like, threw one of them against the tree? Maybe, but he throws the bag at the other person. Yeah, so it's like if he uses objects to harm people, does that not count? Yeah, I mean, maybe it was like he didn't throw it hard enough to hurt him, but like I'm guessing Spike threw it as hard as he could. And didn't seem to be in pain. Nope. He gets away, but they manage to shoot him with a tracking device bullet that gets lodged in his back. The guys radio Riley to tell him this, and then he gets attacked by the Bones Arms demon. And then we get the scene that I really don't like. Really weird, dark, eerie sex music starts playing, and we see a montage of Buffy and Riley fighting this demon, intercut with them having sex, and I was like, what is happening? Is this how they feel when they're fighting? Are they fantasizing about fighting while they have sex? Did this happen earlier? Is this happening later? Like, I don't particularly enjoy seeing them having sex, though there's that, but it was also just confusing because this isn't like a time format the show usually does, and the tone was weird. A lot of Buffy sucking on a pretty board looking Riley's chest. <laughs> so that scene when he puts his arms up while she's on his chest, it almost looks like he's like, I don't know what to do yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> what? No, no girl has licked my chest before, okay? No. Normally, just Maggie Walsh does these things. <laughs> I'll do a Jesus on the cross, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so weird. 
You said you don't enjoy watching him sex. You're not a prude. It's just like it's not a sexy scene. And I don't. He's just so sweet. I don't think of him as like a sexual being. And the music is weird. The music is weird. I do think that this is interesting in that like Faith sort of like set up. Slaying makes me like horny and like riled up. And Buffy was like, no, it doesn't. But then this scene sort of was like, maybe it does. Yeah. <laughs> like you seemed, it seemed to be like there's a connection here. Right. So they capture the bone demon, both the commando and Buffy's vagina. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> The montage ends with them catching the demon and then Buffy asking what he wants to do now. And it's clear that the sex happens post-demon bagging. The boning happens post-bone-demon bagging. Wow, this is a tough sentence. (laughs) The boning happens post-bone-demon bagging. There it is. (laughs) It's very made-for-TV sex. By that, I mean it's pretty vanilla, but also Professor Walsh is watching them on TVs. So I liked that scene. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, because you're a freak. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it was cool. Like, oh, this is creepy. Like, this is legitimately creepy. Mother, what are you doing? She's in like a weird room. Like, it reminds me of the Matrix movie scene that we're watching right now today. Or is that just the same computer area that's like in the big lab and no one's there? Maybe. I, I don't know. It seemed like a little room. Yeah, I don't know. But this, this her silently watching them make love through that, I was like, that is creepy, legit creepy. Yeah. So apparently there's cameras installed in Riley's room. Does he know this? I'm assuming he doesn't. Does she do this to all the other guys? Yeah, there's a bunch of other cameras. So. Is she in love with Riley? What's going on? I don't think she's in love with Riley. I think she's like a mother figure to Riley. I think she likes controlling Riley. The next morning, Xander is at Giles' place, trying to get him to buy his bars. He reluctantly agrees, tries one, and then is like, please leave my home now. <laughs> it's very bad. Then Spike bursts in. It's daytime, so he's covered in a tarp. He says the commandos won't stop chasing him. And Giles is like, uh, so? <laughs> you like, told us to fuck off. Spike's like, yeah, yeah, but like, now I need your help. But Giles plays hardball. He's like, no, why should I help you? Spike's like, well, I helped you when you were a demon. And Giles is like, no, I paid you to do that. Spike's like, God damn it. So he gives him all the money back that he gave him in this episode. Most of the money back. Yeah, he spent some on blood and cigarettes. And then Giles just starts going to town on Spike's back, digging the tracer out. There's also a moment where after he pays Giles, he turns to Xander and Anya. And he's like, well, come on, let's rally the troops. But it's like, why would they help you? <laughs> yeah. You're not paying them. I know. But Xander knows it's a tracer because of his military training. Yeah. Buffy wakes up the next morning in Riley's bed and he's there? What? Crazy. That never happens to her. She's never had sex with a guy when he stays in the bed. Then a weird little alarm goes off reminding Riley to take his vitamins. Sure, that won't turn out to be something more than vitamins. And then he goes on to tell Buffy that the government plucked him out of a special op training for this mission and that they didn't tell him what it was for specifically and he's not really one to ask questions, but he knows he's doing good work and that's all that matters. Buffy then is like, well, what's up with 314 though? But before he can answer, Mother calls and says, Riley is needed. He goes downstairs, kind of takes a little look-see inside the restricted area at 314. Unclear if Buffy saying that was the first time he'd heard it. I would guess he had heard of it before since he knew where to look. But Professor Walsh sees this and is like, uh, no, no, don't look in there. Also, I need you to lead the team that's looking for Spike. Then she goes in there to tell Dr. Engelman that Buffy knows 314 exists. So does that mean she had audio on them too or she just knows because Riley was poking around? I'm sure she had audio on them too. And then seeing him react was like, okay, this has to be dealt with. Yeah. But she and Dr. Engelman agree that they should move to the contingency scenario right away as he casually cuts off the bone demon's arms and puts it on Adam's body. Adam? Yeah, the Frankenstein. Buffy goes back to the dorm where Willow is also just arriving 
See, after the bronze last night, Willow went to hang out with Tara after all. And she's just getting home now. Interesting. Things are kind of tense between them. Neither of them is saying where they were last night. Willow has this thing on her dresser that I had in high school. It's like a little box with like a little carousel kind of made of like flexible plastic. Mine had like clouds on it and the box is made of like a kind of a transparent canvas. So it like projects the clouds around the room and there's like a light bulb inside and it spins. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. I just was like, oh, that's something from this time in history. Anyway, Buffy's pager goes off. She's got to go. Willow gets a call from Giles to come help with the spike situation. He wants her to do the spell that ionizes the air around them to disrupt the tracer signal, and it works. Their hair all goes crazy, like they touch one of those big science balls. Yeah, just big science balls. Is that what those are, ionizers? I guess, maybe. You're talking about the balls that like have electricity in them, and you touch them, and then your hair like stands on end. Yeah, big yeah, science yeah. balls. Science balls. We're comedians, not scientists. I have comedian balls. <laughs> <laughs> big ones. If you put your hand on him, you laugh. <laughs> That's bad. Your hair goes poof still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Professor Walsh has called Buffy in to deal with a low-level threat. Since all the other guys are busy, she figures Buffy can handle it. She's like, cool, cool, I'll do that. By the way, what is it we do here? And Professor Walsh is like, I'll totally tell you everything. Promise, when you get back. Also, you'll be wearing that camera headset that we set up earlier, remember? It checks your heartbeat. So Buffy heads to the sewers with one of those lightning guns, and she's confronted by those two demons from the tinfoil room that were being operated on in the beginning. They got big old axes. Riley had mentioned that these were particularly tough to kill, for him and his friends at least, so we'll see how Buffy fares. She tries to shoot them with a the gun, but it doesn't work. And then she tries to radio Professor Walsh, no response. And then the gate to the sewer closes, locking Buffy in there with these guys. It was clearly a trap to get Buffy killed. But, like, who rigged the sewer gate is what I want to know. Like, is this contingency plan just an option they've had just to kill anyone if they ever needed to? I think so. To kill Buffy specifically. I think they might have set this up a while ago. Yeah. Also, this is, like, I don't know if it's intentionally supposed to be mirroring stuff from aliens, but it had, like, a lot of vibes from aliens. Yeah. Like, the headset monitor, right? But also the idea that somebody is, like, sending someone to their death. To protect their secret. Oh, sure. And watching them through, like, camera footage. Right, right. And, like, it's just silently asking for help and not responding. That was all very, like, oh, this is Burke from Aliens. Is that Paul Reiser? Yeah. So Buffy's just, like, stuck to fight these guys with her own ability. And Big Mother is just silently watching this on her computer screen. No idea why you didn't just call her Big Mama. Because Big Mother's like Big Brother. Oh, that's a very good reason. Why would I say Big Mama? I mean, Big Ma- I mean, Big Mother, Bi- I don't know. <laughs> what I said was clever as fuck. What you said was nonsense. Big Mama's watching. <laughs> You're right. Mine was dumb. My comedy balls are just science balls now. <laughs> Your comedy balls shrank a lot. Suddenly, everything goes quiet, and Buffy has no more heartbeat. This must be because she took it off. Yeah. I'm not sure why it would go quiet, though. It would still be a microphone. And she didn't smash it because it works later. Well, the microphone might be, it might only work with your voice when it's next to your mouth. Sure. It might be one of those. There's some microphones that are like that. Most microphones would pick up ambient stuff too, though. Yeah, she didn't hear anything. Maybe because the heartbeat was like drowning it out. She also might have had the volume down because she didn't want anyone to hear Buffy screaming for help. Yeah, this is like just during work hours. And she doesn't want any of those military men who are just doing laps for no reason (laughs) to hear. Because she is kind of looking over her shoulder the whole time to see if anybody's paying attention to this. Buffy manages to trick one of the demons into fatally axing the other one, and then the alive one goes into a little puddle to retrieve an axe, and Buffy throws the faulty lightning gun at him, which electrocutes him to death in the puddle. 
Riley's crew is looking for Spike, all confused by the tracer because of Willow's spell. They realize they're going to have to walk through neighborhoods, so they change into their civvies. Civvies just such a cutesy name. It's like, they're jammies. <laughs> change into our civvies. It might be a real thing the military says. Willow- but they do say it like civvies. <laughs> Ooh, civvy party. Grab your M16s and let's get into our civvies. <laughs> Willow says it seems like the ionizing spell is about to wear off, but Giles has just gotten the tracer out. And just as Riley's boys manage to pick up a clear signal, it suddenly becomes all erratic because Xander has flushed it down the toilet, along with Giles' shit from that bar he ate. That was funny. Your comedy balls are getting smaller. (laughs) Riley goes to tell Professor Walsh that he couldn't get Spike, and Maggie's like, quiet, my son, who I like to watch fuck. Something's happened to Buffy. She tells them that the tinfoil room demons escaped and that Buffy stupidly went after them alone and died. Riley actor tries his hardest to act sad about this, and Maggie character tries her hardest to act like she feels bad. But while she's lying to Riley, in the background, we see Buffy show up on the monitors, and she's like, hi, hello, still here. Uh, I know you tried to kill me, not cool. Also, um, if you think that was enough to kill me, you don't really know what a slayer is. But trust me when I say you're gonna find out, which is not true. At least, I don't think it can be, but we'll see. Riley's not happy with Walsh. He just silently, sternly walks out of the initiative, despite Mommy ordering him to stop. Big Mommy. Sure. (laughs) Meanwhile, Giles is done working on Spike. I think this is a slight mistake, because this is, like, right after he's finished working on his back. Like, he's taking his surgical gloves off as the scene starts. And I hadn't mentioned this, but they had gotten Spike wasted on Brandy to, like, Mm -hmm. knock him out. And he seems totally fine right now. Like, if this is just after he woke up. So either they waited an hour or two for Spike to recover and wake up, and then Giles took his gloves off, or they forgot that Spike would be wasted. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. I didn't catch that. Because he has just, like, a full, normal, not-drunk conversation with Spike here. Yeah. And he tells him what we've all been thinking, you should leave Sunnydale. And Spike is like, no, I need to stay here to get those guys to undo whatever they did to me. Which is kind of my theory for why he's staying. Like, yeah. he can't live normally. Because otherwise, why them. is he here? Yeah. But also, when he says that to them, they should be like, okay, well, we have to kill you then. Because if your whole goal is to be a demon again, then we can't have you around. Yeah. Yeah, like, why should we help you be in a place where you could kill us? Yeah, they should say either, we're going to kill you then, or you need to leave town, or we're going to kill you. But Giles is like, yeah, Spike, I get that, but, like, even though I do not like you, I'm telling you, it is not safe for you here. And then Buffy just, like, stealthily appears and is like, no, it's not safe for any of us. And that's the whole episode. Nothing else happens. Nothing else happens. No, there's more, there's more. No, no, nothing else happens. There's more, there's more. Not not a single thing, honey. To cope with the loss of Riley, Professor Walsh heads into the 314 room. This doesn't seem important. To talk to her other baby boy. Well, who is this guy? It's not important. She tells sleepy little Adam that she's worked too long to let some little bitch threaten this project. And she does call her a bitch. That wasn't you doing poetic license either. No. And that Buffy has no idea who she's dealing with. Sounds like her plan is to try to kill Buffy again, and that'll somehow convince Riley to come back, and if that doesn't work, she might kill Riley too? Yeah. But first things first, she says she needs to remove the complication. But bam, bone skewer, right through Professor Walsh. Adam, her baby boy, has betrayed her. She falls to the ground, and he just says, Mommy, end of episode. Yeah, it's crazy. He should have said Big Mommy. <laughs> he doesn't have his comedy balls yet. Yeah, right. They, yeah. <laughs> they, they're going to add those songs. You don't see later. a lot of demons with comedy balls, so they haven't like pieced that together for him yeah, yet. They haven't pieced it together. He was almost ready to wake up, but they hadn't found a properly funny demon yet. That's what they were going to get from Spike, the comedy balls. <laughs> yeah. So now you knew about, you, there were spoilers already. You already knew about Adam. I only knew about 
a Frankenstein-looking robot Terminator creature because of a thumbnail. I right, but you knew Adam was important because He's we in the played game. the board game, and I thought I had removed everything that had to do with Adam, but there's a starting space that says Adam starts here. Yeah, so I just knew there was a bad person named Adam. I still don't know anything about him. Right, he's not important. He's sort of, I don't even think we see him again. Couple things. We talked about this a little, but like, what's going on with this initiative as far as like, how much of it is a front? Like, is Riley really a grad student? Is this entire house fake? Why are they having parties if they're supposed to be like an undercover operation? Like anyone could just stumble upon this scanner to go to the basement. Yeah. Willow's just walking into people's bedrooms and laying down on beds at parties. Like anyone like Willow could just walk into this bedroom and they wouldn't probably successfully get scanned, but they'd be like, what the hell is this? I don't even think it's in a bedroom. It's just like behind the stairs. Yeah, you might be right. It's a place where people would walk during a party. But also, like, why is Maggie Walsh teaching classes? Like, does she not get paid enough by the initiative that she's got to also be teaching freshman psychology? I don't have a problem with her teaching. I don't have an issue with that. I do have an issue with, like, what the hell is he doing? Why does he have to pretend to be a student? Why can't he just be a military guy? Yeah. Like, does he want to go to grad school? I say that because, like, uh, she might be a professor that's like, I am a professor in this, and I want to be a public figure still, but I'm also helping this government agency. Yeah. But I have a trouble with just a soldier being like, I need a secret identity. No, you're just a soldier, man. Yeah, they could all just like live in a house together and no one would wonder like why they aren't also going to college. Exactly. And I then, think it was just so that we could meet these characters and then find out they're secretly right. something else. Right. But it doesn't really make sense. You're absolutely right. And these questions are, are, are you have to ask like this, this story doesn't make sense. I also I wanted it was cool that she was watching a house. Not cool, but like, whoa, that's a that's a lot. Maggie Walsh. But I wanted to know more about why she has cameras on him. Like, she's weirdly obsessed with him, and now that I assume she's dead. She's dead. I'm not sure if we'll find out more about that. I think, I don't know about this. I think Maggie Walsh, the actress that plays her, was got a role in something else. And I think they wanted to do more with her. Because I was so interested in this, like, especially that scene, I was, like, sold on her as a character. Like, ooh, what is her deal? I want to know more. And then she's just out, and it's like, well... Did she get a role halfway through them writing this episode, though? Well, I'm guessing she got a role a couple episodes ago, and they had to... Quickly get her out? Yeah, I don't know that that's true. I think it is, though. Uh, But, like, is Riley ever going to find out she was spying on him? Like, that's a big moment we could have seen, is him realizing that... I mean, obviously, him realizing she killed Buffy was a moment of him realizing she was not nice. Right, well, we'll see as the show goes on. But I really wish they had explored her more. I will say a couple things about this episode, though. I think it's interesting because a lot of the characters, I mean, it started the season mostly with Xander feeling like not connected to the group. And then Willow starts to feel unconnected and Giles to Buffy because she's got this new initiative thing. But I feel like Buffy's inclination to join the initiative 100% makes sense. It's like this is an answer to all of your questions and problems that you've had. You know, it's like, oh, I could be a police officer, but that's not really what I want to do. Yeah. This is like, no, you can do what you're meant to do. Yeah, and get paid for it. Get probably. paid for it. And also have backup. Like Giles, uh, Willow, and Xander are decent backup, but like you can have people trained to help you. Yeah. You know, Xander can hold his own okay in a fight, but like these military guys can definitely hold their own in a fight. Yeah. I so far I don't hate this season. I, I feel like the first few episodes were a little weird. Like it felt like they didn't really know how to shift yeah. to college. But I feel like the general world building that they've been doing with the initiative is interesting even though i don't love riley i I feel like it is an interesting concept that there's it also doesn't really make sense unless they're brand spanking new that they haven't encountered buffy before or that buffy hasn't encountered them that is true 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that the initi- she would have seen the commandos before on patrol. Well, I I do think that the the initiative's base in Sunnydale is new. Okay. I don't have anything to back that up, but I they've only bagged like Riley's only bagged seventeen demons. Bag and tag. He's only bag and tagged seventeen demons, so it makes me feel like they haven't been there that long. Maybe during season three they were there and they never ran into them, but I feel like it's relatively new. Yeah. Did you think this was a good episode? I did think it was a good episode, mainly for that ending. I liked that ending. Yeah, Buffy showing up on the cameras was really cool. Buffy showing up was super cool. The sex scene was super creepy. Uh, the the being watched part, uh, not just the way the actor decided to show that he was having sex. Right. All of that was was really cool. And uh, I really, like I said, I, the, I buy Buffy being like, yeah, this is what I should do. This makes sense. This like answers all my worries and concerns. This is the perfect fit for me. And also sort of exploring that, like, when your friend goes to college and meets a bunch of other people and sort of loses touch with their old friends. I was like, oh, these are, like, themes I can understand and relate to. Mm-hmm. Totally. I don't like Adam. You don't? No. As a plot yeah, device? I, we'll, 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 there'll be more to deal with that. I think Maggie Walsh should have been a cooler villain. Okay. Adam, uh, we're going to, I don't want to go into Adam. I'm not going to talk about it. Adam has, like, one cool thing I like about him. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested because I feel... Because I get the sense that people don't like season four, especially the latter half. Yeah. And I've, I've liked, for the most part, what they've set up, so I wonder what goes wrong. Yeah, we'll see. There's some good episodes coming up. Anyway, this is about this episode. Sorry, everybody. Uh, I like this episode, yeah. I did, too. Even though there is stuff about it that's weird, I, I feel like it's, it's setting a lot of stuff up that I'm interested in. And it had some cool tone stuff. Not yeah. the sex scene. So which one do we think was better? Oof. I'm torn. I feel like after talking about it, I almost prefer Gilmore, but I, I think after we watched them, I felt like it was Buffy. I'm going to go Buffy. I think I'm going Buffy, too. It's it's tough, though. I just feel like there's a couple parts of Gilmore that just irked me enough that I have to give it to Buffy. Yeah. I, I know after we watched it, I was like, oh, it's Buffy. But I think talking about Gilmore, I just like found more that I appreciated about it, but... I'm going to go with that initial feeling. Yeah. And and I know some people are going to be like, but Jess, but like, I just feel like it wasn't enough to put it over Buffy. The ending was good. Her trying to kill Buffy and then Buffy being like, oh, can't kill me on the screen was really good. Yeah. Way better than Jess being like, I love you. Uh, uh, uh. That was a car taking off. I'm not great at sound effects. No, not at all. <laughs> My sound effect balls. <laughs> okay. Well, Buffy it is. Well, guys, if you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 4, Episode 14, Goodbye, Iowa. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 4, Episode 14, The Incredible Sinking Lorelei's. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts and the episodes discussed in this podcast. Do you think that TJ's name is Thomas Jefferson and that he was just surprised that Luke got it? Or do you think that isn't what TJ stands for? Do you think that was Riley's first time? Having sex. How did you guys feel about that scene with Willow and Tara? Did it seem romantic to you just seeing it? Yeah. How did you interpret it the first time you watched it? Yeah. Again, keep in mind, just put aside what we know will happen. In that scene, did it feel like it was romantic? But don't tell me what will happen because I don't know exactly what will happen. Right. Tara and and Willow don't date. That's not what happens. So, Mm -mm. yeah. Anyway, uh, Adam's not important. Does Odds come back and walk in on Willow and Tara having sex in his cage? (laughs) In his cage? Yeah. And he's like, whoa, look how the tables have turned again. Do you think Jess was right about Luke? You guys agree with me about the window, right? That's just dumb. Is that cafeteria set the same as the high school set? Let us know. 
You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. For more non-podcast content, follow us at Brian and Stacey. That's Brian with a Y and Stacey with an E-Y. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacey. We're also now watching and discussing the show Angel, posting weekly video reviews exclusively on our Patreon page. So find us on patreon.com forward slash Brian and Stacey, where we also host monthly live-streamed watch parties, post-monthly outtakes, and early extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscriber, Scott D. Besides Patreon, you can support the podcast by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. Or by purchasing wine through our partnership with Wink. Or you can support us for free by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and in return, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. And you'll have helped us get discovered by even more Buffy and Gilmore fans. And finally, you can just send us an email to brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. All right, let's go see if our cat has fully eaten the Christmas tree. Yeah. Oh my god, his tree balls. Does our cat have balls? I think so. It does now. Buffy the girl.